everyone. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Allie and I are performers. We had a live show that was a comedy show all about the internet. In fact, we used the internet as our script that was called Blogologues. We then had a web series called Two Girls, One Show in which we met the people behind the internet posts and went on scripted adventures. And now here we are with this podcast, interviewing people uh, from the internet that we find interesting, talking about different communities and phenomena. Uh, This is with The Daily Dot and our producer, Matt Silverman. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hello, hello. So any of you been up to any um, conspiracy theorizing lately? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Confession here. Big Trump supporter. Big Trump supporter. Whoa. And, uh, I know. I know. Was unexpected. Very yeah. believable. So, uh, yeah, big Trump supporter. Been going down some QAnon wormholes, and I like what I'm seeing. QAnon. And I'm here to tell you about it. <laughs> I was doing some research for the show, and I got to say, they have a point. Into it. <laughs> feeling it. Here for it. I know. Well, you know, I'm, too. I'm really glad to hear you say that word out loud, because... I thought it was Canaan for a long time. But it's Q, it's QAnon, right? Okay. And some people call it Q. To be fair, you also thought it was called K-pop before oh, we corrected K-pop. you. That's right. That's no, right. It's, yeah. mm-hmm. Matt, it's Q-pop. <laughs> well, I'm not even going to tell you guys what QAnon is because we have an expert coming on to tell everyone what it is. Well, I would like to mentally prepare our listeners today that this is not just one interview. We have a series of interviews. So, so many interviews. It's going to be thrilling. Um, we're going to hear a lot of different voices. We're going to get a lot of different perspectives, both uh, journalistic and in insider within an experience perspective. Get ready. I'm really excited about this. We got an expert. We got someone whose husband fell down the wormhole. We're going to hear about that. Someone who fell down the wormhole and then climbed out. And we've got a cult deprogrammer. I'm super excited about yeah. that. <laughs> Jen, that was like a creepy kind of yeah. I that know. Was, like, I was trying something. Dark. I was trying something. I, I was hoping we could just pretend it was like one of Matt's weird sound effects. Like I, I feel like Jen was like looking at some porn while she was with us. You know, like, yeah. We need a smart or more person. <laughs> you know, we, we really do. do. We times. do. That's what this episode is all about. That statement alone should like lead us up to the election. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of smarter or more and more, definitely more people, uh, we would like to thank some of our Patreon supporters contributing at the $10 level or more. So thank you. Jerry Duran. Jessica Fox. Melissa Elliott. James Dozier. Christopher Latch. (laughs) Kathy Phillips. William. And Matthew Scott. Thank you so, 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 so much. Uh, We really appreciate it. You too can visit patreon.com slash 2G1P and hear these melodious voices say your name. All right, folks, we are so excited to have with us our very first guest. Please welcome to the show a journalist who has covered QAnon extensively, including for The Daily Dot. Please welcome Mike Rothschild. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me. Hi, Mike. So um, I just wanted to chime in here and say that you were just on Reply All, and I just wanted to confirm that we're better than Reply All. Is that is that right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. Oh, I, ca- I can't compare my children to each other. I would <laughs> okay. say that uh, um, every podcast I am on is equally great. Okay, great. I just wanted to get that out of the way. I'm sorry I cut you off, Jen. Please continue. All good. So you've been covering QAnon for at least the last year. Is that right? Really m- more like two years. Uh, okay. QAnon started in October 2017, and I started noticing it probably around December. Um, but I didn't really start seriously writing about it until uh, a few months after that. 
Got it. And how would you describe it to somebody who's never heard of it before, if that is even possible? <laughs> I would first congratulate them on uh, having never heard of it. And I would call it a prophetic conspiracy cult that holds that Donald Trump will be conducting a purge of the deep state and that only people who follow a, an, an anonymous poster on the message board 8chan know about its details. Sounds plausible. And what are some of their biggest beliefs? Sure. The biggest beliefs of the, the QAnon movement are that Donald Trump is a tactical and military genius who is capable of thinking in 12 simultaneous dimensions and is absolutely ahead of all of his enemies and if he is not ahead of his enemies, it's only because he's done that on purpose. Well, if his vocabulary is any indication, he's definitely thinking on multiple planes, yes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> For sure. The, the Q movement also holds that there is uh, a vast ring of pedophiles infesting every level of business, commerce, politics, entertainment, and the media. And this giant ring of pedophiles essentially controls the world and communicates with each other in public using codes and symbols that only QAnon believers can decode. So there's a vast, giant enemy that is doing the most horrible things, and it involves all of these prominent liberals, and the Q team and Trump are dedicated to taking it down. We're curious, where does this come from in the first place? The belief in a sort of all-powerful cabal of people who are pulling the strings on the world and controlling every aspect of it, that's been around for centuries. You know, that's that's the Freemasons, that's the Illuminati, that's the Catholics, that's always Jews. But the always the, more, the Jews. Always the Jews. Little sidebar, um, I did my senior thesis on the protocols of the elders of Zion. Bet you didn't see that coming, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I didn't. I was uh, excited to know that you have a t-shirt that says always the Jews. I know that. <laughs> I definitely want that t-shirt. Um, <laughs> now, if our guests could please continue. <laughs> sure. So where this comes from, in particular with QAnon, is the easy availability of conspiracy theories. You know, I, I, I don't think that we are a more conspiratorial culture than we used to be, but I think it's definitely easier to get into this stuff, you know, to, to be a conspiracy theory believer in the pre-internet days you had to go to the right weird bookstore you had to buy the right vhs tapes you had to get the right pamphlets it was a lot of work and now you can go on twitter and create an account and just make up anything you want to and if people like it you'll get half a million followers within a couple months it's right. um it's very easy to do this it's it's very prevalent there's no barriers to entry and, and where QAnon comes from is that idea of sort of everyone's a researcher, everyone is an expert, everyone who has Google can find all of the deepest, darkest secrets that the cabal doesn't want you to know about. So it's, it's very much enabled by technology, but this didn't come from technology. Yeah, so it sounds like technology's really allowed it to take off because of yeah. the erosion of authority and expertise. Yeah, it's it's much easier to find these these things and find these people and it's it's easier to become one of them. You know, if you spin an entertaining story, no one's fact checking it. You know, there's there are QAnon gurus who who talk about how everyone in the government is a clone and 
you know, there, there are aliens and we're working with a great galactic alliance. And there's no, you don't need to I'm be I'm sorry, right. can you tell us a little bit more about the aliens? I, I hadn't yeah, heard that one. Yeah, that's the fun stuff. Yeah. I, I, sure. Well, if you get into QAnon as much as I've uh, researched it, you, what you find is that there are factions in it, and some of them believe really, really out there stuff, and some of them believe only sort of out there stuff. There are Q believers who, who have bought into this sort of previous conspiracy stuff about federations of light and aliens and shapeshifters and clones and people being replaced by body doubles. And even a lot of mainstream Q believers think that those people are crazy. And a lot of them think that they are like planted by the cabal to poison the well for the rest of Q. If you really go deep and dark into this, you will find all kinds of bizarre stuff. This obviously doesn't just exist on the internet, that it play, it must play out in the real world in some ways. So what are the ways that Q has manifested in the real world? Like, you know, we've all heard of Pizzagate. Was that part of it in some way? Or, you know, what are some other examples of that? Sure. Pizzagate was about a year before Q. That was in the, the run-up to the 2016 election. And Pizzagate is the conspiracy theory that Hillary Clinton and her campaign manager, John Podesta, were running a pedophile ring out of a Washington, D.C. pizza place's basement. Now, that pizza place doesn't actually have a basement, and everything in there was taken from the leaked emails from John Podesta and some uh, very out-of-context images that were put up by conspiracy believers. And a lot of people describe QAnon as uh, sort of like a mutant version of Pizzagate, but I think it's, it's much bigger than that, and it goes much deeper than that. Q is a very is a very online movement. You don't get a lot of meetups. You don't get a lot of like Q conventions or rallies. There's a few, and, and that, there's more now because of all the Save the Children stuff. But the the manifestations of Q in the real world tend to be very very small scale. They tend to be sort of families no longer speaking to each other, parents and children uh, disassociating from each other, spouses breaking up because of it. And then you have the crimes. You have, you've had at least two murders committed by Q believers, both of whom uh, weren't, uh, were found to not be mentally fit to stand trial. You've had instances of arson. You've had vandalism. You've had a couple of attempted kidnappings involving custody disputes. So when Q tends to go into the real world, it tends to be very sort of hyper-focused on very small-scale interactions because you tend to not get big Q displays. You don't even get them at Trump rallies anymore because the Secret Service won't let that stuff in anymore. QAnon supporters are no longer allowed into Trump rallies? Yeah, they can't bring their gear. They, you know, they can't bring their signs okay. and their T-shirts and their, their banners and, and all that stuff. So it's interesting because Trump, of course, still endorses it. Who started the conspiracy? Is it a natural occurrence, like a lot of people just like putting things together and then talking about stuff and then coming to some group conclusions? Or is there like a single origin point and what is that person or group's agenda? Is it just for lulls or is it about some sort of coup? Is it about political control? Like what's the source? There is one specific origin point for QAnon, and it was a series of 4chan posts in October of 2017. But what you have to understand about that is the idea of somebody going on 4chan and pretending to be a government official did not start with Q. There are a whole bunch of high-level official pretenders who went on 4chan and said, hey, I work in the White House, 
and my identity is a secret and I'm very close to the president and ask me anything. And then you get people asking about like aliens and executions and clones and stuff. And this would go on for a couple days a week. And then that person would just disappear. And it was all a game. It was all just this sort of live action role play that these people do online because that's just the, the way they experience the internet. Q was another one of those. And it just took off. It was telling a story that people wanted to believe was true. It was telling the story of Hillary Clinton finally being brought to justice for all the horrible things that she did. People wanted that to happen. And so they responded positively to it. And it just kept going and going. And it moved to move from 4chan to 8chan. It probably changed hands a couple of times. There are several different people who claim to have made the first Q posts. I don't think any of them are particularly credible. What are all of the tactics that are being used to suppress QAnon. I suppress isn't really the right word because it's not like they're this movement that needs to be heard, in my opinion. But what are all the different things people are doing to kind of quiet this absurdity? Well, a lot of the things that are happening are social media companies finally kind of waking up to what's going on with all of this. For almost its entire existence, QAnon was basically able to live on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram almost totally unchecked. The first real uh, action taken by social media companies was Reddit. And that was about two years ago when they completely banned any QAnon content from their site. And QAnon now basically has no presence on Reddit, which is ironic because it, that was really the first place where it jumped from 4chan culture to actual mainstream culture was when the first QAnon Reddit board started. But they've, they've been banned there for two years. So now, just in the last couple of months, you've had Twitter try to disable searches for hashtags, and you can't send few links and direct messages anymore. Facebook closed a bunch of groups. There were a bunch of bands of major Q figures. None of this stuff has actually worked, but they are actually starting to try to do it. Right. So let's focus on that. So you said none of it, it's not really working. From from what I've read, whenever a platform kicks them out, they just kind of get back together somewhere else. Yeah. You had a bunch of major Q promoters who were banned and they've all come back. They've all snuck back onto Twitter. They've created new accounts. They don't really hide who they are. What they usually do is they'll get banned. They'll go to Parler. They'll complain and whine about how they got banned. They'll tell everybody what their new account is, and then they'll go back to Twitter. And within a day, they'll have 25,000 followers. I'm sorry, did you just say Parler? Parler is one of the far-right social media alternatives that, that people have tried to get going as a no-censorship alternative to Twitter. They, they don't work. They're very buggy. They are also full of racists. There's no moderation at all, but nobody outside of the far right uses them. So they're basically just echo chambers where there's no growth and there's no opportunity for any kind of viral traffic because they have such small user bases. That's interesting on a lot of levels. What are other tactics that are being taken to quell this? Or are there things that you think the tech companies should be doing that they're not? Well, I think what the tech companies really should have done was take this seriously a couple of years ago. Um, unfortunately, That's always now, true. <laughs> yes. It's like democracy crumbles and they're like, oops. Yeah, well, we should have taken that a little more seriously. Well, yeah. they, they don't understand the scope of the problem. And so they delist some hashtags and they make it harder to search for things. 
But the people who do this are really good at getting around it. So they'll find alternative ways to talk about Q. They'll find different hashtags that they can hijack. All of this Save the Children stuff really blossomed because Q believers needed other ways to talk about their conspiracy. And the idea of child trafficking was already part of it. You know, you had all the Epstein stuff and the Bill Clinton stuff, and they just sort of jumped onto that because you can't really ban something as uh, harmless sounding as Save the Children. So they found something that the social media companies couldn't get rid of. And they're really good at gaming the system. And unfortunately, they're always going to move faster and have a, a sort of a lower threshold than the big companies that just take a long time to do anything. So are you saying it's hopeless? I am saying that it is a much more small scale effort that we need to take on individually to stop QAnon. We can't. Uh, we can't rely on the big companies to do it for us because it's too late. So we have to do it in our own interactions. We have to do it in the way we share information, the way we process information, in the way we talk to people, in the way we treat the QAnon believers in our lives and the conspiracy believers in our lives in general. It, it's all it's up to us. Can we drill a little deeper there? What are the actions that you think we can take as individuals? The actions that we can take as individuals to kind of blunt QAnon first of all, involves knowing what we're reading. Um, don't share things that sound like they could be true without looking at them to see if they are true. And that's something that we all do. Every Everybody comes across something on their social media feed and goes, oh, I, I want that to be true. I'm going to share it. And it sounds like it could be true. You know, this there was just something the other day about um, with the Trump taxes story, Jared Kushner deleting all of his tweets after this story came out. Jared Kushner's never tweeted, and this story's gone around a couple of times. It sounds true, so we want it to be true, so we share it. And that's so much of how something like QAnon grows. It just, it's like things that we, that conform with our biases and we spread them to other people. So everybody should just take a minute, read what you're looking at, make sure it's true, and make sure that the other people in your life are doing the same thing. You know, check on the people in your life who are heavy Facebook users. Make sure that what they're sharing is real and not a fake story. Just be hygienic in, in your use of social media. We are relying on tech companies to decide what to clamp down on and what to censor. So for QAnon, it's a very easy choice. But for other things, you know, uh, you know, a white guy at a tech company saying this is censored and this is not, like that just is very problematic. How do we have a nice thing like social media, which will never go away, but still keep people safe or put some sort of regulation on information without wrong-headed censorship or something like that? Yeah, it's a really fine line between um, sort of the, the nanny state protectionism that conservatives uh, used to rail about <laughs> and the sort of unfettered anything goes, say whatever you want attitude of places like 4chan. I think where it where it comes in is is really the consistent application of rules. You know, a lot of what happens when you report objectionable stuff, especially on Twitter, is there's just no consistency. There's no there's no hard and fast rules of this is okay, this is not okay. And if you want to, you know, talk about these subjects, that's fine. But you're not allowed to say call somebody a pedophile. We don't want that on our service. You, if you want to do that, go somewhere else. And sometimes you get that and sometimes you don't. And I think, it's, I think it is a reasonable expectation to be able to talk about 
a wide range of topics on a major social media platform without constantly being called a pedophile or without constantly being bombarded with anti-Semitic memes. Have you seen the internet helping people or people's loved ones out of QAnon? Like, are there any places of light that we can look to for this online? There definitely are. There are some, first of all, there's some great journalists who are doing some really amazing work in the QAnon space and the extremism space. You know, those, those are people that I go to as sort of trusted sources. But in terms of just sort of being pulled out of QAnon in general, there's a couple of Reddit groups that I spend a lot of time in. The w- one is um, QAnon Casualties, which is for family members and loved ones to vent and get help and get advice and just know that they're not alone. And then there's, then there's a much smaller group that really only started recently called Recovery, and it's with a Q, that's for ex-QAnon believers. And that's uh, I'm starting to see more traffic there. I've been able to talk to some people from that site, you know, from that community to get their stories. And that's, that's really inspiring to me. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for spending time with us today. This has been great speaking with you. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, dear listeners, we will be speaking with a woman who's recently filed for divorce from her husband due to QAnon. Um, for your reference, we are changing her name and disguising her voice. Please welcome to the show, Mia. Welcome, Mia. Thank you. Hey, Mia. Hi. We hate to define you by your relationship to a man. We like to think we're feminists, but that's what we're doing today. <laughs> so can you tell us how did you meet your husband? We were just hipsters. <laughs> you know, he was a, an indie musician. He was in a band. I was in college. And that's how we met. When did things start to change? I guess let's just get right into it. So when and how did he start to fall down the queue wormhole? So he had always been quirky, right? So he was into conspiracies. But back then, this was in the Obama era, conspiracies weren't really political yet. So it was just aliens and, you know, kind of like out there theories. So it seemed more for entertainment purposes. We got married, had kids, moved on. And there was a flat earth conspiracy that he got into a little more than just for entertainment purposes. We actually did an entire show around flat earth at one point. So we're we're familiar a bit with that (laughs) conspiracy. Yep. So that was the first one that he started taking like, serious like actually kind of seriously but i wasn't taking him seriously well it's hard to take a flat earther seriously so there's that <laughs> right what was your reaction when he was like hey honey i think the i think the earth is flat i just didn't believe that he like really thought that i don't know i just thought yeah. maybe he's yeah. entertaining something weird i guess and yeah. where would you have maybe put him on the uh conservative to liberal spectrum at that point Oh, liberal. 100%. Like, he would correct me on being politically correct about stuff. (laughs) Okay. There were some conspiracies about Hillary Clinton doing something shady. I don't remember what it was because I just never paid attention. And so he didn't want to vote for Hillary in the last election, and he did vote for Trump. But he didn't believe Trump would win. And even after Trump won... He would, you know, make fun of him and stuff. So he still seemed to be like 
not conservative, definitely not Republican. And then last year, around, I guess, June of 2019, he started acting weird, just kind of like, I don't know, like overly happy. Mm. Um, Okay. And just a little different. And then one night he said to me, I spoke to God. Mm. And uh, we were not religious previous to that. But I was just like, okay, whatever. Um, And I had lunch with his friend shortly after. And I told his friend that my husband was acting weird. And his friend said, have you seen his Twitter? And I had not. And it was just full of conservative stuff. And he was uh, like very obviously like like, into QAnon, a Trump supporter. He believed that Hillary Clinton was like harvesting children or something just crazy. So what was your response then? Or did you approach him about it right away? No, (laughs) it was, I would lay in bed next to him at night thinking like, just ask him, just ask him if he's a Trump supporter, (laughs) Um, which is really ridiculous now because like that part probably mattered the least. It was the QAnon stuff and all the conspiracies and beliefs with that, that really mattered the most and kind of ended up over the past year changing his personality. Um, So eventually it came out and I felt like he had been lying to me and, you know, just kept this whole thing secret from me. And he was also converting to like a really conservative Christian faith. And he, he just knew that I wouldn't participate. He never gave me an explanation though. Wait, he, he was converting? Yeah, he was raised as a Scientologist. And he left Scientology um, as like an older teenager, young adult. And I wasn't raised religious at all. So throughout our, up to that point, we'd been together for six or seven years. We never really discussed religion or anything. Mm-hmm. But to be in QAnon, to follow what QAnon believes, you have to be a Christian. Really? My understanding is yes, because there's a lot of things like Trump is Jesus. I don't know, actually, because QAnon has a, like a lot of different flavors of QAnon (laughs) and like the whole like Trump is Jesus's soldier and you know these other people are demons and and all that stuff that's like a big part of it at least the big part that my husband's in so I did not know that I mean I knew that it had a lot of of Christian rhetoric but um okay so so many things (laughs) You mentioned Scientology, and I think it's really interesting because that is arguably a cult, and QAnon is arguably a cult. So do you think there are certain personality types or people that are more susceptible to these ideas? I wouldn't say it's a personality type. I don't think you're going to be born with a personality that's going to make you susceptible to this necessarily. I think in any religion, the teachings are, this is the way. It's the only way, and there are no other ways. If you grow up in that, and that's all you know, and then lose that at some point, you are left without your foundation, right? So you're always going to be looking for something else. And that's at least what my therapist said happened to my husband. And I mean, if you're someone that's like high anxiety or you have an addictive personality, then, then yeah, you might be more drawn to this stuff. So we know you tried getting him help and maybe tried to reason and definitely tried to reason with him, I'm sure. But I'm curious, like, what were some of the tactics that you tried or you know, what was your approach with all of it? 
Well, in the very beginning, I thought that he was having some mental issues. I thought he was stressed out. I tried to get him to go to counseling, which he wouldn't go to in the beginning. He wanted to go to couples therapy. And at that point, maybe this is a mistake that I made. At that point, I was like, our relationship is fine, but you're obviously stressed out. He had also lost a lot of weight. So I did get him to go to the doctor. I wanted him to get like his thyroid checked or, you know, just make sure it wasn't some kind of health issue. He, he went to the doctor, but he didn't do any of the tests. I tried in these ways, but I couldn't make him do anything. I did talk to his family and friends, but no one wanted to believe it. I didn't want to believe it either. When you talked to his family and friends, what did, what did they say? Did you try any formal intervention? Like what happened? Some of his family members are into the QAnon stuff also. Mm-hmm. And they feel like I'm a liberal. So I think they they took it as me just being like up in arms about my husband turning conservative and not like this is a harmful thing. No one wanted to see it as a harmful thing. So everyone just kind of brushed it off. And and I'll say that I went through periods of just brushing it off and not believing it um, because it's hard to believe some of the things that he was saying. What were, yeah, what were some of the things he was saying? What were some of the beliefs he had related to QAnon? Um, well, he definitely believed that Donald Trump was trying to persecute these elite pedophile can- cannibalists and that there was a secret army, a digital army. QAnon is like a digital army. Um, and someone, Q, is like spreading messages, like, get, you know, giving these like secret messages to tell the digital army to like get ready for the storm um, and all this stuff. And there's like these weird side theories, like Planned Parenthood is selling baby fetuses to Pepsi for flavoring. <laughs> I mean, that is true. Let's be honest. I mean, that one, (laughs) that single one is is verifiable. Yeah, just, I don't know, just weird, weird stuff. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me that when you talk to family or friends about it, that it almost sounds like it was like a conservative versus liberal thing. Like, oh, he's just maybe getting more conservative, but like without really acknowledging like how out there some of these things are, (laughs) like, yeah. It was, yeah, getting out of control, it sounds like. He was such a a kind-hearted, like, gentle person who seemed pretty level-headed, even though he was quirky. And no one wants to believe that. No one wants to believe these things about someone they love, you know? Um, So I think a lot of people just didn't want to hear it for a while. Right. And then how did you find the subreddit, um, r slash QAnon casualties? Um, and what was the experience of posting there like for you? Part of my roller coaster of, of dealing with the whole thing was that I just kind of wouldn't believe some of the things that he started saying to me. He um, kind of started showing some misogynistic and controlling behaviors. So I would write these emails to myself as to like what happened during the day. And then it got to where I was reading these emails and I was questioning myself, like, I'm being emotional. I'm being sensitive. This isn't a big deal. So I finally just wrote something on Reddit, 
you know, I wrote out my story, what I was going through. And so many people responded and took, took me seriously because I really, I don't know if I was. And they said, you know, go get counseling. And they gave all this advice. You know, they said, that's emotional abuse. That's some of the stuff he did was, I guess, financial abuse, which I didn't realize was a thing, but it's part of controlling behaviors. Um, so I learned a lot and I got some emotional support. I did go to counseling. And during that time was pretty recent. It's when coronavirus happened. And I think when coronavirus happened, QAnon started to really be more visible publicly. And so other people started dealing with this. Other people were going through the same thing, and I had no idea. I really felt alone. I had talked to my parents, and it was my dad that sent me the QAnon casualties Reddit. So the end of my story, I filed for divorce. And my post was really short on QAnon casualties, and I just said I filed for divorce. This is the best thing for me and my children. And I hadn't told anyone in my, my real life, and I didn't know how people on QAnon casualties would respond, but they, they're very supportive, and it really helped me be strong in that decision because, you know, choosing to get a divorce over something so surreal as, uh, you know, someone believing in conspiracy theories is, is, is difficult. It might have been the most emotional support I could have gotten or that I could get. Wow. Way to go, Reddit! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then any advice that you would give to others who have people in their lives who are going through this now that you're going through this experience as well? I know, you know you've talked about counseling, but anything else you could say about just an approach that they could take? I think you need to pick your battles. Um, I don't think it's going to be like this forever. I think QAnon will go away. But I picked my battle because in, in my situation, I have kids. And they're watching. And I have to set the example. So I chose to get a divorce because I can't let my son watch my husband and grow up to have the same problems. And to behave the same way. And I can't let my daughter be in a relationship um, where she's complacent in these things. Because if I stayed, that's what I would be teaching my kids. So that was my battle. However, on QAnon casualties, I do see things like, oh, my aunt and my cousins. It's so annoying. Like, I think every situation is different. And you really got to say, is this harmful? Um, or is it annoying, you know, because I mean, nothing lasts forever. So I think just keep that in mind if you're going through this. Well, thank you so much for sharing your trauma with us. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Mia. We really appreciate have it. a good time, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope that it helps someone. And honestly, I'm doing, I'm doing a lot better now. Um, because I started school, I went back to school. I got a job in the career that I wanted to get and uh, doors are open for me now that they weren't open before in my marriage. So, I mean, things are going to be good for me. I'm only one person, right? I can't fix my husband. I can only raise my kids and help myself and that's what I'm doing. And I hope someone else 
who hears this might like just think about themselves too. All right, Mia, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Next, everyone, please welcome to the show Jatarth Jadeja, a former QAnon believer, or as he says, a former cultist. Welcome, Jatarth. Thank you. So we know you've been very open and honest about how you fell down the Q wormhole. So can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit more about the mindset you were in when that happened? Well, I would say I was very socially isolated. Like I just found out that I had ADHD a year ago. I had epilepsy since I was a kid. I hadn't yet discovered I had bipolar, so I had kind of pushed all my friends to the side for about a few months. Yeah, and then I was just <laughs> I was just watching Alex Jones one day. He had um, it wasn't him interviewing, but he had a couple of guys on talking about a subreddit that was for called CBTS underscore stream. The super calm before the storm. And look, uh, look, I can go on in a lot of detail, right? But to get the long and short of it, um, I was socially isolated and had. And we're not in the best mental space. And so you fell into Alex Jones, that fine, fine, fine gentleman. So uh, (laughs) can you walk us through the steps that led you deeper and deeper into this? So, like, I'm old enough to remember weapons of mass destruction. And I remember, like, Trump and the election and how the media got it wrong completely. Like, everyone got it wrong. Once that happened, I came, I went looking for alternative forms of media, and that's how I found Alex. He's very entertaining. Then Alex has these two guys on, and they're talking about an anonymous poster, initially on 4chan, and then a little, little later now on Acorn, formerly 8chan. And he was apparently dropping hints about, you know, this secret, like, um, war that Donald Trump was fighting, because I was very disillusioned with the media at the time. And that's kind of how I fell into the whole QAnon um, kind of conspiracy hole, because it was it was one conspiracy after the other. It was like a little slow, like um, slippery slope. And how long were you into it? QAnon, two and a half years. Conspiracy oh, wow. is like three and a half. Yeah, wow. a long time. So and w- what are some of the wilder things that QAnon believers believe? Dude, this is like the conspiracy theory of all conspiracy theories. <laughs> the wildest thing is, what's the wildest thing you've ever heard? Like, oh, human, <laughs> that you could ever human, imagine. Just yeah, make it exactly. Up. Like, oh, human <laughs> beings do reptilians, flat earth, mole children, JFK. Dude, JFK assassination moon, that's not even part of it. That's how deep it goes. <laughs> so I saw this other conspiracy theory where there were like blue avian birds who were fighting reptilians who were behind the cabal. So yeah, it sounds like all roads end at Q. If you fall down yeah. any conspiracy theory wormhole on YouTube, you end up at Q. It's yeah, that- yeah, 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 yeah. So- Except for those who think like Q is a psyop. There's a conspiracy that Q is not only real, but it's actually a, it's a psyop by the by a the cabal. A psy- a so like a, it's it's a double, it's a head fake. Or like a secret a, a psyop. I don't know. It's a secret government uh, yeah, operation. Yes, psychological operation. That's okay. what it stands for. That it's actually the good guys making the bad guys <laughs> seem good who are trying to get the bad guys, but they're actually good or whatever, you know. Mm. It's, it's, dude, I don't even understand what you said. It's even worse. It's like, <laughs> there's nothing. That's a perfect par- That's a perfect parallel to what QAnon is. It's that, that's why you can't answer it, because it goes everywhere. So if it's so batshit crazy, what do you <sighs> think kept you in it for two and a half years? I think hope, ironically, right? Like. The strange thing about 
too, is that I feel like in some way, even on conspiracies, like human beings have this inherent sense to like project the insecurity about like, the lack of control of their lives. So they always invent some sort of greater power, like whether it's like a communist believing the power of the state or whether it's like, you know, someone believing in God, even the conspiracy theory of like an evil cabal or Illuminati. Even if they're evil, the fact that the idea that something someone's in control is kind of um, comforting. For me personally, it was that all the bad things were happening in the world weren't just, you know, you know, that's just that human nature to do bad things. But it was actually the work of an evil cabal. And then after this cabal, like, it was overthrown, we could have a great, better world for us all. Which is, like, it's kind of sad, basically. No, I mean, I would like a better world for us all. <laughs> you yeah. know? Uh, yeah. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? That adds up, you know? I'm with yeah. you there. So, Jatarth, is it true that you considered yourself uh, liberal as you were getting into QAnon? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I was a Bernie Sanders supporter. Like, I'm a, I'm a very, like, chill-out, left-wing libertarian, let people smoke weed, right, decriminalize <laughs> drugs. Yeah, I was a big Bernie Sanders supporter. Then Hillary guy comes along, and, like, um, Julian Assange releases those emails from WikiLeaks. So then Hillary beat Bernie in the in the primary, and then Donald Trump was against Hillary. And, like, I didn't like Donald Trump. I didn't care about Donald Trump. I, thought, I just thought he was an idiot. Then, then Hillary comes along, and, like, when she loses, I just personally found that very funny and very satisfying. I went from Bernie bro to then seeing, like, <laughs> Donald Trump being uselessly attacked by the media for no reason. Then starting to follow Q and Alex Jones, and then you start watching, like, Sean Hannity and then Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson, who I still really like to this day. Um, it's like getting in the whole right-wing uh, media ecosystem, and all of, all of a sudden you become, like, this like right-wing guy. But, like, the key isn't about our... The, I, I found myself like having all these right-wing opinions, but it, the thread there was because Bernie was anti-establishment, and then Trump and Q, that was supposed to be anti-establishment as well. So that was the common thing between these. Like it, it wasn't a left or right thing. It was an authoritarian versus individual libertarian idea. Um, so that's how I was able to go from being a Bernie bro to being a Trump supporter. That's that's a fascinating journey because it seems uh, they, 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 they seem like such polar opposites to me. But you did articulate yeah. how one makes it from one to the other. Mm. So you've spoken a lot about your distrust of the media, which I also think is really interesting because I tend to think of distrust of the media happening with Donald Trump accusing the media of being fake news. But what's interesting is that you're actually yeah. pinpointing it to an earlier date, which is the fact that the news all predicted that he was going to win and they didn't and just that the media didn't seem yeah. like in line with reality. And I think that's really interesting. Exactly. Like that was so, so off. <laughs> so if, if you're not like, what, why, why would I listen to you then? Just because you're yeah. all sure about something. What happened that you finally, you know, became suspicious and got yourself out Ooh. of it. What was that process and experience like? It's funny because it was actually a Daily Dot article, right? Ooh, and it Matt, was did you know that? <laughs> no, I don't think we talked about it specifically. Uh, I didn't tell you this. I didn't tell you this. I only realized like three days ago because I'm emailing the guy who wrote that article. His name's Mike Rothschild, right? Mm -hmm. He's also 
on this same episode with you. We also spoke with him. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, that's great. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I can't wait to I can't wait to speak to him. But like, so he wrote this article on the Daily Dot, and it was talking about how at the time there was thirty thousand sealed indictments, supposedly. So these Q people are keeping like a tally based off like um legal like data websites. They use this as like objective evidence that they're correct. They look and look at this data, right? The only thing is, Mike Rothschild wrote an article, and he was talking. And the point he was making is very simply that these are just sealed court proceedings. They're not sealed indictments. All of them, sure, some of them are, but they're also like sealed um, court test witness testimony, sealed decisions. Just he, there's no comparison. He's just, they just started recording a, a number, and it's like now it's thirty thousand. It's like is that a lot? What, what, what if it was meant to be like 100,000? What if he's been letting the cabal go? That kind of stuff really bothered me. Then uh, that, that kind of culminated in this tip-top, tippy-top shape thing where like one of the people asked you if he could get Donald Trump to repeat a specific phrase as kind of like a shout-out to the board. The phrase they asked him to repeat is tip-top, tippy-top shape. Four months later, Donald Trump says this in front of the White House and then Q points this out. He says, "Oh, it was requested this phrase." So people, so cultists use like that really as a as a shout out to the board, like as a main piece of evidence. But the thing is, this video that had like a thousand views, it's still on YouTube, and it's very poor production quality. But the guy is legend, and he just basically talks about first of all the person who requested that and highlighted it four months later on this anonymous board was this from was actually the same person. He proved that. And on top of that, that's just something that Donald Trump says. He just says that from time to time. So that's the moment I realized that this was a very slick con. So would you say that the process for people getting out tends to be like a detail that doesn't fit and then it unravels from there? Like what? I guess what I'm trying to get at is how do we get people out? That's just what happened with me. How people get out, I have no idea. It depends (laughs) on what you bought. It depends on what bought you in. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think that reaching out to them with like empathy um, and I think understanding like with what happened to me on Reddit, that might be a better way because otherwise there's no incentive for them to come back. Who is like, imagine you had to admit you were wrong about something so big. All right. And it wasn't like there was no, you told everyone about it. And like, there's no, like, you don't go back from that. There has to be an incentive for them to come back for for that to um, be overcome. So is there any hope in getting people out then? (laughs) You don't want to know what I think. <laughs> yeah, I do. I just asked. <laughs> no, you don't want to know what I think because I know, dude. I don't see it. I, I like these. There's too many people. Like, where are they gonna go? Can you imagine? Like, even if Trump loses, they're not going away. If Trump dies because of coronavirus, which would be like, dude, checkmate. Well played, 2020. That was one hell of a goddamn story. Yeah. And then he'll be what deified. Yeah. They're still there, and they're just going to say the deep state one. Like, the movement isn't going away. Well, that was terrifying. <laughs> I told you, I told you, you didn't want to know what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> we want to know, we just don't like it. Yeah, it's like it. But uh, I have a question.
question, and, and I, cool. I asked another guest this as well, but I'm very curious mm. how you argue with someone who says the mainstream media doesn't want you to know, and that's why you can only find this information on these alternative sources. What is a decent <laughs> well, response to that? Well, first of all, obviously, you can't find them. You can only find them on these sources. We might disagree to why, but let's agree <laughs> to disagree. And just focus on what the story is. Like, what is it? Like, there's there's always the details that are missing. Like, oh, the Lucerne government from Atlantis has decided on their 34.3D council meeting, the blah, blah, blah. It's like, where are you getting this information from? Like, where are the records? Who are the witnesses? But they, it doesn't matter. You can't argue with them logically. It's, it's all emotional. You, you won't reach, reach them with a logical argument. How did you find QAnon casualties, Jatarth? I love it. I th- well, like, I mean, I love what it is. I don't like, mm-hmm. I don't love reading it. It makes me sad. Yeah. Mm. How, mm-hmm. how did you come across it? Because I was on uh, Q, like, um, cult headquarters. And it just kind of came up from there. Um, and, like, I remember now it's, like, 20-something thousand. I remember when it was, like, like, like a few hundred. Like when it, when it first started, and it's just grown so much. And it just if you if you bet there's like twenty thousand people on Reddit, there are tens of thousands of people out there that this is impacting. How did the community react to your story? I I was shocked because they were so ultra supportive. I I was not expecting that. I was expecting to get flamed. I think uh-huh. a, a part of me was like kind of projecting my own self loathing onto them. So I was hoping to get flamed, if that makes sense. There were hundreds of comments and like one was negative and it was like, it wasn't even that bad. It was just like, oh, you're an idiot. And I'm like, dude, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was broken and they kind of put me back together again. So I have a lot of um, love for those subreddits. I know you said that you don't think there's much hope for getting people out of it, but you also mentioned the mental state that you were in when you got into it. So are yeah. there clues that people can look for to help prevent people from ever going down this wormhole? Well, a social isolation, I think, and mental illness. Those were, those were the two biggest risk factors for me. They're like pre-existing conditions. If you've got someone who's mentally unwell and who's also very socially isolated, that's when you're, the warning sign should be like loud and clear. I don't think it's a coincidence that as my mental state improved and my social isolation decreased, that I started to see all of this for what it was. So perhaps a- an avenue for family members to try is to maybe not even address QAnon, but just help that person mm. maybe get mental health assistance. Do you think that yeah. that's a possibility? You know, get a job, like leave mm. your room, leave your house, meet people, like see your friends, just, just stuff like that. Take your medication, go to a psychologist mm-hmm. or a psychiatrist. But then the problem is like a lot of that healthcare stuff in America, it's very hard. Yeah, like in Australia, in Australia, dude, that crap is all free. Interesting. <laughs> and you also mentioned earlier that rather than press people on their sources, mm. press them on the details, yeah. and they may unravel their own story. Is that the other tactic yeah. you'd say? That's why it takes a lot of time and effort. Because even if you go in and you got them to admit that this one story might be a little dubious, right? It'll take time to have enough impact for them to get away from it all because most people who stop believing in QAnon they don't stop believing conspiracies they still they just put QAnon as part of that conspiracy whereas 
at least with my dad, for example, he still believes in it, but his like his behavior has changed. He's not like I was. He's not like agitated, aggressive. We can't. I can only talk about QAnon. You know, he may, he makes a scene at every like family event. Like he doesn't do that anymore, but he still believes in it, right? And I, I that will go away, but uh, it'll take some time. And for that to go away, you have to address these other two mental and social isolation issues as well. You know, you you brought us down, then you brought us up. It's been a roller coaster, <laughs> but, I, I, but, I'm, but I appreciate. I think it's some really you know great insights for us, as well as you know tactics people can think about when helping others get out of this wormhole. Thank you so much, Jatar. Thank you. It's nice to meet you guys. Thank you for having me. And last but not least today, folks, we are speaking with someone very special. Please welcome to the show, Rick Allen Ross, who is a cult deprogrammer and many other things. So welcome, Rick. Uh, thank you, Jen. I, uh, I do intervention work to get people out of cults. And I also testify as a court expert witness. And I am the author of the book Cults Inside Out, how people get in and can get out. And my website, which was launched in 1996 and is now a very large database, is culteducation.com where people can get a huge amount of information free online about everything we're talking about. Thank you. Um, It's great to have you. And I just wanted to know, how often are you confused with the rapper Rick Ross? And have you ever been (laughs) Rick Rolled? And if we start linking your image everywhere, can we also call that Rick Rolling? The answer to all of the above is yes. And uh, at, at one time, you know, I was the owner of the domain name RickRoss.com. And the rapper, the rapper Rick Ross, and that's not his given name, though it is mine. Uh, what he, a dick! He, so he stole yeah. it. Yeah, well, no, he tried to buy it, but he was really cheap. And so I, I I didn't sell it to him. And then I ended up selling it to him to someone else who now runs a gaming site on that domain name. Uh, But but I once appeared on an MTV show uh, that was about uh, you probably remember it. Uh, It was about a skateboard king who had a kind of fantasy factory. Yes. And he he brought me on. He brought me on the show to deprogram his cousin. Uh, from being just a really big douchebag. And, uh, wait, and so- wait, 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 wait. I have a couple of men you need to work on. You can do that? Is that possible? How many well, sessions does it take? Well, it took, according to that show, it was just one. Wow. That's impressive work I've been trying for years. <laughs> they rolled him in in a, in a, in a acrylic cube. <laughs> and he, he looked at he looked at me and they had this big bodyguard, this big guy that was on the show. He was like a refrigerator. And he looked at the cousin and he said, yo, this is the real Rick Ross. <laughs> and, and the cousin went, he's just this old white guy. What are you talking about? You know, it was it was it was very strange, but we had a lot of fun. All right. Well, we're spilling the tea here. Rick Ross is cheap, apparently. I don't know. That was, that was some good gossip. Um, so, Rick, how did you become a cult deprogrammer? 
I started out as a, really an anti-cult activist. Uh, this weird group infiltrated a nursing home where my grandmother lived. They tried to recruit her and just basically ruined her lunch. And uh, I found out that they had covertly inserted their members into the paid professional staff at the nursing home. And, what and, cult was and, this? <laughs> it was a weird group that was a, kind of a, a Pentecostal group that specifically targeted targeted Jews. And the nursing home was a Jewish nursing home. And my grandmother was 82 at the time, and she was very upset by the confrontation. And so I worked with the nursing home director, and we eventually ferreted these people out. And I realized that this was a plan that they had. And, it, and quite frankly, it pissed me off. And so at that point, I became an anti-cult activist, community organizer. I worked on various committees. And uh, the net result was I started doing intervention work, working for a social service agency and an educational bureau. And then, voila, I ended up uh, doing this full time. Since then, I've done over 500 interventions in almost every state in the United States and in Europe, Asia, around the world. And I've testified as a court expert in 10 states, including United States federal court. And then I wrote my book in order to share with everyone how this phenomenon works, how people get in, and how they can get out. What were you doing before this? I was working for my cousin in the wrecking yard business. He, he owned one of the largest uh, wrecking yards in the state of Arizona. And my work was uh, parting out and rebuilding automobiles and really enjoyed that work. But I found that uh, trying to salvage people was better than salvaging cars. Hmm. How many times have you used that line? I like it. I like it. <laughs> I, th I, I think this might be the third time. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's working. It's working. <laughs> so why did they want to indoctrinate these elderly Jews? And along with that, you know, can you go into what are the main facets of a cult? Okay, the motivation to indoctrinate elderly people, as I found out, was cash and assets. Uh, the group had a significant amount of real estate that had been bequeathed to them by those kind of people, by elderly people that they recruited and then they died and they left their estate to this group. So th that's a, a major reason why many elderly people are targeted and continue to be targeted by these groups is because they're after your money. They're after your house. They're after the equity you have in property. What's fascinating to me is from the cults that I've looked into, which, of course, you know, newbie here in, in the cult field, but uh, some of them seem like they're well-intentioned at first and then they turn into like a multi-level marketing scheme. I don't know if you had anything to say about how many or to what extent they are deliberately founded to exploit people or to what extent do some of these wellness practices or whatever become cults? 
the uh, saying, today is the first day of the rest of your life, was coined by Charles Diedrich, who started a rehabilitation community in California. It was called Synanon. And it was uh, at first wonderful. We were trying to help people overcome drugs. Diedrich was a reformed alcoholic. He, he used some of the, of the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, but it became a personality-driven cult. So a group can start out with good intentions and end up bad. What, what I find is that if there is no accountability for the leadership, that, as they always say, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And in a community where you're frequently, as the leader, surrounded by adoring followers and you have no accountability, your ego can become more and more inflated and you can just go off the rails. And I think that's what's happened in some cases, though I would say, honestly, uh, many of these people seem to have this as their, as their goal and their intention. That is to exploit and do harm to other people. So if you could quickly let our listeners know, like, what are the, what are the main things that all cults have? Okay, there are three core criteria that uh, form the nucleus for a definition of a destructive cult. One is that, and this is the single most salient feature, that all-powerful leader who has no meaningful accountability, who becomes an object of worship as whatever principles the group claim to have begin to fade away. And that leader is the defining element, the driving force of the group. And then second, that leader uses that power to intensely indoctrinate his or her followers using thought reform and influence techniques that break people down, change them, and then lock them in in a subservient, dependent position to that leader. And then finally, having gained that undue influence, the leader then utilizes it to exploit and do harm to people. And that varies by degree from group to group because some groups are way more destructive than other groups. Not everyone is a Jim Jones or a Charlie Manson who leads their followers to death and murder. Uh, most are uh, pretty much after free labor, cash, assets, and sexual favors. So today's episode is all about QAnon. And, you know, we're curious in what ways is this a cult? Some things are definitely ringing true about indoctrination. There does seem to be a sort of leader, but nobody really knows who that person actually is. Is there ill intent, do we think? Uh, we're just curious what you think about how does this compare to other cults? Well, I think QAnon is a fit. Uh, the only thing that doesn't fit is what you just mentioned, that there is no identified absolute leader. Who is Q? Is Q a, a single individual, a collective? We don't know. But it seems to me that the other two criteria, that is the use of intensive, focused indoctrination, is, is evident. And the way in which uh, people that get involved in QAnon kind of cocoon themselves online and become uh, submerged in a subculture that reinforces the conspiracy theories promoted by QAnon. And then finally, the damage that's being done to people, to their lives, to their families, to relationships, to careers, uh, that is definitely ongoing. So I would say two out of three 
of the of the of the of the three core criteria are are evident in my opinion and in addition to that whoever is posing behind the facade of q anonymous is it, that leader is the driving force and defining element of this movement and therefore it could be seen easily as a destructive cult so how does a deprogramming session work well, basically, the first thing that you must do is unplug. So the person who is consumed with, with QAnon, who has been uh, it, it pulled into it and submerged in that subculture, they need to get offline. They need to uh, put their electronic devices away. There needs to be an understanding and agreement that they will not uh, dock to dock in, check in to be recharged. And once you can get them to take a break, and then you would want to engage with them in a discussion, in a dialogue about your concerns. And a typical intervention, I mean a formal intervention, or what has been called deprogramming, is, is staged in much the same way as a drug or alcohol intervention. Uh, family members, loved ones get together as a team. They bring in perhaps a facilitator like me or someone else that is a professional trusted by the family. And then you begin this process of talking through what the family's concerns are, how these three core criteria apply to this group, and then you then you break it down even further and you start talking in detail about what is thought reform what is coercive persuasion uh what is information control how does it work how does it affect people and how might it apply to this group that you're in and then you also want to talk to them about facts uh, that they may not know about the group, that the group has deliberately concealed from them. And, and what you're hoping for is that as they become more informed, they can make a more informed decision about their continuation in the group. And then finally, you're going to go around the room and the family is going to talk. And they're going to say, look, these are the reasons that we did this. These are the things that we saw in your behavior in your life that caused us to be concerned enough to stage an intervention. And at, at the end, what you're hoping is that they're going to give you some kind of commitment about taking a vacation from the group, not texting with the other people people in the group, uh, not Skyping with them, not uh, following them online uh, through some social media platform, and giving it a rest, taking a break so that they can reflect, think independently, and maybe do some independent research about this group and the phenomenon that they've been consumed by. Have you deprogrammed Q followers, Rick? Not face-to-face. -face. I've uh, communicated with them quite a bit because a number of them are trolling uh, the Cult Education Institute Facebook page. Uh, they're, they're commenting, they're emailing me because I have been posting uh, links to stories about QAnon, which is part of my work. 
so I have had calls. I've, I've emailed with people affected by this phenomenon. And it, it's the same complaints that I receive about destructive cults uh, that people have heard of. Uh, for example, the Unification Church or, or, or the Waco Davidians or, or, for that matter, dare I say it, the S word, Scientology. <laughs> and so, uh, so people that communicate with me talk about the same kind of things, that their loved one has become uh, obsessed, that uh, their, their conversation is peppered with uh, a kind of inside jargon typically thought-terminating cliches uh, memorized by people in the group, and that ultimately they're worried about them because their life has been disrupted, because they're becoming increasingly isolated, and they're not communicating as much with, with family and old friends. And whenever they're discussing their ideas, their conspiracy theories, they become really pretty furious if you disagree with them and then often cut people off. Going back to the tactics, the first thing you mentioned was you need to get them to unplug. But I feel like that alone is so difficult. How can people even convince these believers to unplug? Well, in, in my book, there's uh, I, I explain to people how to prepare for an intervention and how to choose people to be there. What you want is to stage a, a kind of surprise. It, you're not going to invite someone to an intervention, say, hey, you know, show up at my house at four and we're going to do an intervention. So they <laughs> they drop they drop by. Uh, and you've you've created some excuse for that, and they come in, and they're sitting in the room waiting. Are some people that they really care about, people that they respect, and you carefully pick those people. Uh, it could be parents, it could be a mentor, it could be a sibling, uh, it, it could be a spouse. Those people will then persuade that individual to stay and continue talking. We just spoke with a guest a little while ago who was explaining that her husband was involved in Q, and we talked about the idea of intervening, and she explained to us that other members of his family, close members of his family, I believe parents or siblings and such, were also into Q. And so, do you have any advice for a situation like that where you can't bring the close family together because they're in the cult as well? Well, that makes it a lot tougher. And what you would have to do in a situation like that is just work with the spouse. And then the wife would have to pick people outside of the family that her husband respects, admires, cares about, that could be persuasive in the intervention. Because if, if the person you're working with stands up and says, look, I've had it. I'm not talking with you anymore about this. I'm leaving now. You have to have people in the room that can say, hey, wait a minute. Will you just wait a minute? I care about you. I love you. I'm worried about you. Would you do it for me? Would you do it because I care this much? Let's talk this through because it means something for me, even if you don't think it means anything to you. And uh, certainly you don't want the parents there uh, if they're involved also. And you would even ask the husband not to communicate with the parents during the three or four consecutive days that you might stage an intervention. How successful are interventions? About seven out of 10 people that I work with will decide to 
take a break or uh, quite honestly leave the group at the end of the intervention. Uh, some of the people will get a lot of information and it may be a delayed reaction. It may be a month later, it may be six months later, and that may pop up in their heads and they may think, wait a minute, isn't that what, like what, what we discussed in that intervention thing? And do you view QAnon believers as more or less difficult than any other believers in things in terms of deprogramming? In my experience dealing with the community of QAnon so far, they seem very angry, very hostile, very likely to storm out of an intervention. Do you have advice or tactics for handling that? Are you developing new methodology based on this? I think, again, the beginning of helping somebody is just to persuade them to unplug. But having said that, I'm going to preface it by saying this. You may decide, look, I can't handle an intervention. My spouse's family is involved in this. So what am I going to do? I, I feel like intervention is not an option for me. So then what you're going to do is basically coping strategies, uh, which I, uh, I, I devoted a chapter uh, to that in my book as well, which is basically learning how to navigate through this kind of mess that, uh, that someone you care about is involved in. So if they confront you, if they're, if they're preaching their conspiracy theories to you, you have to know how to handle it. So you would say, well, you know, can you email me some links about that? I'll look into it. Uh, you don't necessarily reject them entirely out of hand. You don't uh, confront them with your feelings about QAnon. But instead, what you do is say, well, I'm going to look at the links. Send me some links to uh, where those videos are on YouTube and where some of those articles are that you want to share with me. And I'll look at it. And then when they press you, you may say, well, I don't necessarily agree with everything, but I want you to know that I care about you and that I'm here for you and that your friendship or your our relationship means everything to me. And so you want to keep that line of communication going and you don't want to engage in name calling. You don't want to tell them, oh, you're in a cult or you're brainwashed or why don't you just stop uh, getting into all that stuff online? It's 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 just rubbish. If you talk like that, they're more likely to cut you off and further isolate and embed themselves in this kind of alternate universe. Are there some things to look out for signs uh, in people that we love <laughs> if we're not entirely sure how deep they are in something like this? Well, yeah, the first thing is obsessiveness. If they're talking obsessively about these crazy conspiracy theories, this group jargon, and it's not like they normally talk. And you're Wait, thinking, I'm sorry what? to interrupt, but I'm, I'm very curious. Are there signs before they even get to that state? Yes. You know what I mean? How can we like sort of take preventative measures almost? <laughs> well, if, if, of course, if somebody is hurting and they're going through a difficult time in their life and they're vulnerable, you can reach out to them and make them feel less isolated, uh, less fearful. You can encourage them to seek counseling. You can encourage them to get involved in a support group. For example, if they're recently divorced, if they've lost a loved one, if they're going through a, a problem with substance abuse, there are support groups that 
there, there are services out there to help them so that they don't turn to some cult group or fringe group for answers. But when you sense that they're becoming isolated and that they're not communicating, that's the beginning of, of the problem. We're wondering, do you have any clue of what Q ultimately wants from people? Like, are they going to start suddenly asking for money from people? Or like, what, what do we think could potentially be the desire? In my experience, the desire is power and control. Uh, power over people, control over people, and ultimately the aggrandizement and, and or the enrichment of the leader. Fascinating, because I feel like usually you could figure out a way to you know, arrest the guru, but nobody seems to know who exactly Q is. Rick, are there any analogies to a headless cult? I perceive Q as like someone had a crazy idea and posted and people ran with it and the conspiratorial thinkers, you know, aligned things and it was like, oh, this makes sense. Like, I perceive this as a group think without a leader. Are there other headless cults like this or is this unique? Well, it's possible. I mean, in many personality-driven cults, the leader dies and the group continues on, and it okay. may be quite destructive. For example, uh, the, the leader may be succeeded by someone who then assumes that role, which would be very easy in QAnon since the leader is anonymous mm -hmm. and not identified. So you could have a person starting a group and then fading away and then someone coming in and becoming the one to drop the messages online uh, and no one would be the wiser. Or you could have a group that even though the leader is dead, continues to be quite destructive uh, with the people that are still following the leader's edicts, the leader's teachings, uh, which in and of themselves were destructive. And I've seen that over and over again. What is the way out of this, given that there isn't this charismatic leader that could perhaps be arrested as so often happens. You know, what are, what's the role that perhaps tech platforms play or the government? What's our way out of this mess? Because now there's, you know, QAnon believers, um, you know, running for government. So how do we stop this? Well, I think you've made a really good point, which is that the tech the, the platforms, the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, they really can do something about this by adjusting, if you will, their algorithms so that people uh, don't find a lot of this information or it isn't put in, in front of them in a suggestible way. When QAnon is working a platform like Facebook, which they have, and, and working YouTube, which they most definitely have, they can come in and they can just delete them and they can block them from using their platform. I think that's one thing that can be done responsibly. And then I think the rest is on all of us, and in particular the media, to investigate and shed light on and expose what QAnon is. And I think that's part of the process of exposing and then the whole movement itself, I think, would dissipate if that leader and the creators of QAnon were discredited. And, and I think that can be done. And I think investigative journalists are working on it as we speak. Thanks for that glimmer of hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it was more than a glimmer. It was 
a shine. A shimmer? A shine. A shimmer? <laughs> a sh- no, it's a shimmer. It's a shimmer. Jen got it. A shimmer and a shine. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, Jen, this episode is long as fuck. Let's see if we can quickly recap for people how we need to save society. We need to look out for people struggling with mental health issues. We need to get mental health issues covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. The tech platforms need to shut down this shit before it skyrockets. We need to Uh, be aware of people in our lives who maybe are socially isolated, that that could potentially lead to going down a wormhole. (laughs) And we need to help people unplug. Um, that is one of the big things I took away from it, just literally getting them away from the computer for a day. Arguing with strangers on the internet does not appear to help, but family members need to have legit interventions. Mm, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in those legit interventions, you're laying out a lot of facts, as far as I could gather, and the family's telling what they've observed as well. I can't even remember if we covered this in our interviews, but something I've heard is that you have to keep telling them that you love them. You'll be there for them either way, because then when people do want to get out, they don't know where to turn. Oh, yeah. Because they've isolated themselves further. And um, oh, for the media, the media needs to behave better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the mainstream media so people will trust it again because mm-hmm. um and i i thought that was a really interesting point because the media is definitely like very incendiary and reactionary also that sources like throwing new york times articles at someone yeah. doesn't help you it's more about well what if, did you ever think about of the this? details that's so weird why, why do you believe that you know stuff like yeah that. and once we when you have them repeat their stories their mm. you know holes and details that they can't mm. explain did we get yeah. it all anything else yeah that's uh, and pretty then if good. not there's a Reddit support group for you. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down one meta thing here that from all these interviews that is just that just blows me away. This kind of thinking is from the dark ages. Like when when people didn't know how the world works or the superstition was very prevalent. Right, and they would come up with like myths and fairy tales to explain the world. <laughs> yes, that that and that everything about the world is apocalyptic or that it's a battle between good and evil. And now we know through information and technology that the world is gray and that the obvious explanation is the real explanation. And we thought that the internet would connect everyone and allow information to be accessible. And we wouldn't have the dark ages, we would have an age of enlightenment. But what actually is happening in the at least in these corners of the internet is that the information overload is just perpetuating this like biblical conflict about trump is the same like this there's there's a savior who will cleanse the earth and it's like how could you why you know i don't know but that was really <laughs> that's really something it's really something when you pull back and look at that yeah hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the and the internet is really just allowing this thinking to proliferate it's the town square it's not a mass me. It's not Walter Cronkite saying, "Well, this is the what this is what happened, and here's the news, and you trust the newspaper, you trust Walter." It's literally villagers in a medieval town square. Like, have you heard this? Oh, what about this? What about this? And it's just, I mean, I it's not. I hate to be elitist about it. It's common. It's common people gathering in the town square, spreading rumors, and that's how that's that's dark age thinking. That's medieval thinking. But now we have it on the internet too, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh my god. That is social media, like in a nutshell, I think, on whatever side you're on. Yeah. And I agree (laughs) with the media criticism. Like mass media got it wrong 
all the time. They make mistakes. Walter Cronkite was not always right. Full stop. But it's the extreme opposite now of that. And and wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And wow. <laughs> and wow. <laughs> and well. well, you know, this has been so fascinating. I just think it's important for people not to dismiss it because just like the tech platforms did, you know, we dismiss it and then it grows and grows and grows. And then what are we going to do? So there are there are people running for, you know, local and state governments that are QAnon believers. So I, I hope our listeners will, you know, take some tactics away with them. If you would like to be in touch with us, as always, you can tweet at us. I'm at Junebugger. I'm at Allie Gold, A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D. You can also email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. You can text us or leave us a voicemail. So exciting. That number is... 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. And join our Discord server, discord.gg slash 2G1P. Listeners of the show are hanging out there, and we would love to have you there as well. We're talking about all sorts of things, recapping shows, coming up with new show ideas. It's a blast. And in fact, sometimes we organize social activities. I won't say much more, but one of them's <laughs> happening tonight. And what else, Ali, if they'd like to contribute, how do they do that? Please visit patreon.com slash 2G1P. All right, everyone. Have a great week. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.